we're reading from the beginning of John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when the other guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Some hmm, 20-odd, she says, years ago, uh, I was at university and uh, I wasn't what you would say a Christian uh, but like a lot of people, despite not really knowing what Lent was about, I used to give stuff up for Lent. Um, and now, as uh, as a general rule, now I don't drink alcohol. Uh, not for any big theological reason. I, I just don't do it. You know, I like a little gin and tonic every now and again. Uh, but these days, even my gin is non-alcoholic. Uh, but during my uni days, things were different. I enjoyed a drink. And uh, so in my wisdom... One year I announced to all my friends that I was going to give up alcohol for Lent. And oh my goodness, (laughs) Um, going out at the weekends, being surrounded by the drinking culture that was there at the time, um, it turned out that this was not an easy thing to do. And uh, so we were out one night and uh, my resolve was wearing thin, shall we say, and I turned to my friend John and I was looking for some support and encouragement and uh, looking for him to sort of say, come on Liz, you can do it. Easter's nearly here and all that. Um, but no, what does John say to me? Well, uh, no, he helpfully says, oh, oh, go on, Liz, have a drink. He says, Jesus won't mind. He turned water into wine. Now, uh, why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this because here we were, a couple of people in their late teens who didn't profess to have any real faith, who didn't go to church. One of them was observing Lent. And the other one was quoting scripture, Uh, not because of any great belief, but because this, well, this story is right up there, isn't it? With the most famous of all the miracles that Jesus did. Um, Virtually everybody knows um, this story, whether or not they are part of a church. Um, And it's this miracle that starts off Jesus's ministry with a bang. Um, Now, if you know us as a family, you will know that the Reeses love a good superhero. Uh, We are Team Marvel all the way. 
But from what I can see, pretty much all superhero films uh, follow the same pattern. You know, first off, you have an origin story, something that happens um, where the person gets their powers, you know. So, um, for example, Peter Parker, he's bitten by a spider and then he becomes Spider-Man. You know, you get the idea. And uh, then something else happens, some kind of big uh, earth-shattering disaster. So our new superhero has to swoop in and save the day. And suddenly all the world knows about them and their powers. And I guess it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, what is the point of having superpowers if no one knows about them? And well, for Jesus, it's the wedding at Cana that is his big introduction. It's the moment in the story when everyone sees his power for the first time. You know, after turning water into wine, Jesus had arrived. There is no going back now. This man has got powers and everyone is going to be talking about it. And why wouldn't they? You know, it is a brilliant story. Um, it must have been even more brilliant to, to be there. But you know, I think it's not just a brilliant story. I think actually it's a story that shows us um, how God can work and it teaches us how as Christians we should view, I think, the time that we come together in worship, be that in person um, or online. You know, one of the first things I think we should notice about the story is that it's a time of celebration. The people have come together to celebrate a wedding. Now, I know every time we come together to worship, we're not actually celebrating a wedding, um, but I don't think that that should mean that we're, that we're here to celebrate any less. You know, okay, okay, I know it sounds a bit odd, and I'm sure kind of for many of us that church doesn't always feel like some big party, um, especially right now kind of with all the restrictions around meeting together. Um, well, actually, no, do you know what? I say that, but let's not hide behind COVID for a second, um, because even pre-COVID, how many of us can honestly say that going to church each week was a real cause of celebration. For how many of us um, is going to church just something that we kind of do week in, week out? Perhaps, I don't know, maybe some of you were brought up to see church as a solemn experience, somewhere where you go to be quiet and reverent, not, not joyful and loud. And I do believe that, you know, sometimes that's right. There are times in church when we need to be uh, solemn and quiet. You know, there are times during Holy Week when we need to walk that difficult path with Jesus. Um, but that's not quite what I'm talking about. Um, what I'm talking about, like, is, is that need to be solemn in church because that's what you should do. That's how you behave properly in church. It's this thought that, you know, being solemn equals being respectful. You know, it's a bit like being quiet, isn't it? Have you ever thought, why do people whisper in churches? Why is it that when you walk through the door, like and big churches and cathedrals especially, like you walk through the door and you lower your voice, like somehow Jesus won't hear us. And it's because somewhere along the line, we've been told that you have to be quiet in church because quiet equals respectful. And you know, sometimes, sometimes you go into churches and, and there's a sign on the door or there's like a little note on the top of the, the notice sheet asking you to be quiet 
as you enter church. And oh, do you know, I've even been in several churches where they ask you to be silent before a service. And I've got to be honest with you, I really struggle with those kind of notices. Because in the scripture, God simply isn't like that. In his earthly ministry, Jesus wasn't like that. You know, talking of, talking of popular Bible stories, let's talk about Christmas for a second, shall we? You know, in the Christmas story, there are angels popping up all over the place. There are heavenly hosts, armies of angels singing praises to God. Now, that is not quiet. You know, if we read in the book of Revelation, we're told that in heaven there is endless worship, singing and music and all kinds of instruments. That is not quiet. You know, Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding party. Have you ever been to a quiet wedding party? You know, we had a, we had a tiny wedding. We had hardly anybody there. But I promise you, it wasn't quiet. You see, I think God is, yeah, God is so often found in the noise and in the center of celebration. Heaven is often described as a party. In the story of the lost sheep, there's another famous story for you. We're told that every time someone gives their life to Christ, all of heaven celebrates. That's not quiet. You know, when we share in communion together, there's a there's a part of the liturgy um, in the in the communion prayer that I love, and it and it says something like this. It says, um, "So we join with all the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven in singing or saying, holy, holy, holy," and and it goes on. But that's the idea. The celebration that on earth mirrors that celebration of worship in heaven. Yeah, it is different, but but it's still a celebration. What we do when we join together to worship, however we do it, should feel like a celebration. We should we should feel better having been to church than we did when we arrived. And I think I think if people who had never stepped foot in a church before or had never joined an online service before, if they heard that that was the kind of atmosphere, that was the kind of feeling that you got when you when you went to worship when you went to church then I genuinely think they'd be more inclined to come along and find out what it's all about when uh, Kai and I were at college um, we used to have to go to morning prayer in the chapel every morning at 8 30 and every morning we all used to turn up looking a bit more tired and a bit miserable and uh, and well, yes, we would leave looking exactly the same. And, and our principal once sat us down. He said, oh, for goodness sake, would you lot smile? He said, no one wants to walk into a church or a chapel and just see a load of sourpusses. He said, not one of you is a good advert for knowing Jesus. You know, what are you trying to say to people? Come be a Christian. You too can be as miserable as me. <laughs> you see, people don't want to see that, do they? People want to see people who are joyful. They want, us to, they want to see people joyfully celebrating God because that's what inspires people. You know, the joy that you get from knowing God is attractive. When people see that kind of joy in us, they, they want to know how they can get it for themselves. Jesus uh, did his first miracle at a party in an atmosphere of celebration and joy. And when we come together, we should do so in a spirit of celebration and joy. Not, not because we're at a wedding, but because we want to celebrate Jesus, the one who did and does those miracles. When we come together, we should come together in celebration and joy. 
but we should also come together to encourage one another. You know, blink and you will miss it. But Jesus doesn't actually want to do the miracle that he does in this chapter. Now, we don't know why Jesus doesn't want to do the miracle. He says to his mother, he says, it's not my time. Um, but I don't know, maybe he was a little bit nervous. You know, Jesus knew what lay ahead of him. And, and he knew that once he did this, there was no going back. But what we do know, we do know is this, that Jesus did the miracle for one reason. And that is because his mom told him to. <laughs> she encouraged him. Well, she forced him to do it. She knew uh, he could do it. Jesus knew he could do it. But actually, it was her sort of swift kick that gave him the confidence to do it. And I think it's a reminder to all of us, isn't it, that just a few words of encouragement can go an awful long way. But as humans, for whatever reason, we're not, we're not always very good at encouraging, are we? We are so much better at criticising. For whatever reason, saying nice things doesn't always come naturally to us. But on the flip side, so often we end up upsetting people. I mean, honestly, most of the time we upset people without even thinking. It's harder to encourage some, uh, to encourage people. And I don't know, maybe encouraging people makes us feel awkward sometimes. And, and sometimes encouraging people can come at a cost to us. <laughs> a friend of mine um, once lost out on a job because he encouraged another friend to apply for the same job. <laughs> but for Mary, for Mary encouraging Jesus to do this miracle meant losing her son. This is the point at which Mary essentially hands over Jesus to the rest of the world. Do you know, imagine, imagine if she'd said, oh Jesus, you know what, don't worry about it. It is their fault for not having enough wine. It is not your problem to sort out. Do you know, if she said that, Jesus wouldn't have done the miracle perhaps. And if he hadn't done that, then he wouldn't have started his earthly ministry. And she would have kept her son at home, safe with her, um, just for a little bit longer, or perhaps even preventing him from going to the cross altogether. But she did encourage him to do it. She encouraged him into his ministry, and it made a real difference. You know, when we encourage people, it can make a real difference. Encouragement can transform lives and churches. And it's a challenge for all of us, I think, to follow Mary's example, that we should always be looking to encourage one another, to encourage others in the gifts that God has given them so that they might bless other people. And so today I want to challenge us, all of us, I want us to aim to, uh, to encourage at least one person every single day. Can you imagine what difference we could make if we all live like that? So Jesus, Jesus, he does this first miracle and, he, and, and in it he reminds us that we should come together in joy, that we should come together to encourage one another and that we should come together prepared for new beginnings. You know, as I say, this was Jesus's first miracle. It was a new beginning for him, the beginning of his earthly ministry. You know, from then on, he, he went around performing miracles and preaching and, and showing love and doing all the things that Jesus did. 
that day began his journey in fighting sin and the devil publicly. That day began his journey to the cross where he died for our forgiveness. It's a journey that ended with his resurrection from the dead and and him ascending into heaven where today he is ready to welcome all who love him. And it's a reminder that the church should be all about the new beginnings. It's an interesting fact, well I think it's interesting, um, that if you follow the lectionary, which is uh, basically it's the pattern of Bible readings for every day in the church year, um, this particular story um, is read actually at the beginning of every year in January. I think it is on the second Sunday of January, I think. Um, and in one sense, that is it's an odd reading to have, really. I mean, it's right after Christmas. Jesus has just been born. The wise men haven't been to visit yet. And uh, we're given a reading about Jesus's first miracle. But I think it's there because it's all about new beginnings. And as a general rule, when we talk about new beginnings, we do tend to do so kind of at the beginning of the year, don't we? Sort of New Year's resolutions and all that kind of thing. But actually... I think that the story reminds us that as a church, as the body of God's people, we should be all about new beginnings all of the time. When we accept Jesus as our saviour, we're offered a new beginning. Every time we come before God and we confess our sins, we're offered a new beginning. The beginning of uh, Jesus's earthly ministry comes because he offered himself in service to a broken world. Every time we come before God and offer ourselves to him in service, we are offered a new beginning, a new opportunity to meet with him, a new opportunity to serve him and his world, a new opportunity to to grow in our relationship with him, a new opportunity to to step into our calling and a new opportunity to to grow into and, and to use the gifts that he's given us. So as we meet together in worship again today, let's meet together in joy and celebration because of because of what Jesus has done for us and because of all that he has done and continues to do in this world. Let's encourage one another as we seek to grow in and build up the kingdom of God here on earth. And let's take advantage of those new beginnings that we're offered in Christ. Let's look to him for our new beginnings, our new opportunities, our our new chances to serve, um, you know, those new challenges that he's got for us, um, that he's got in store for us. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father God, we thank you that you are the God of love. We thank you um, that you are a God who gives us life in all, all its fullness and a God who blesses us extravagantly because you love us. Father God, help us when we come to worship to come expectant to celebrate all that you have done and all that you continue to do expectant to see you move in power, expectant to see miracles, expectant for new beginnings that come in and through you. And Father, we just want to say sorry. We're sorry for the times when we have fallen short, when we have not been the people that you have called us to be. 
And again, Lord, thank you, thank you that because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are given a new beginning, a new chance to live for you. And Father, as you forgive us and you offer us a new beginning, would you help us to do that for others too? Help us to be people who forgive. And Father, in this moment, as we come before you, we just ask now that you would come by your Holy Spirit and Lord, move among us. Speak to our hearts. Show us the opportunities that you have laid before us. Show us more of the things that you are doing. Give us the courage and the boldness and the confidence to to step out into your calling. And as we step forward into new things, help us to know the things that we need to leave behind. Father, we thank you for all those who have encouraged us on our own journey of faith with you. And Lord, by the guiding of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make us encouragers to other people. Lord, give us eyes to see others' giftings as you do. Lord, we ask that you would continue to fill us with your love and your joy so that we that so that it it might just radiate out from us to the people that we meet so that others might see the love that you have for them that others might see the joy of a life spent with you and that they too might come into an everlasting relationship with you our awesome and wonderful god